And entrepreneurship is what I know. It's what I've done most of my life. And I need to turn back around and look behind me and say, who is further down that ladder that I can go and help? And if I'm going to help them, what tools do I need to help them? Hello, I am Joel Ingram, and this is Crisis to Crushing It podcast. Let's dive into this week's talk, and I'll help to increase perspective, expand perception, and allow you to change your reality. Enjoy the show. Okay, so today I have with me uh, Stuart Hilson. Stuart, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joel. Uh, also known as the Mindful Entrepreneur. <laughs> Would you like to explain uh, a little bit about yourself, please, uh, Stuart? Yeah, so my, uh, my background is entrepreneurial, 20-odd um, years in software, and uh, uh, part of a team that built a very successful British software company in the 80s, and uh, myself and two other guys built a web development business in the 90s, and I worked for a NASDAQ company, and uh, went on from there to become a professional investor. And uh, when I got out of finance in 2008, in the great global meltdown, um, became a, an advisor and a mentor and a coach to entrepreneurs. And uh, my skills have grown over the years. I've been training hard. So I've trained as a mindfulness teacher. I've trained as a hypnotherapist. And I'm very close to completing my training as a psychotherapist. And I, I just see all these things as um, tools to help me help entrepreneurs um, have an easier journey than perhaps they'd have on their own. So uh, I can sit with someone and chat and coach and, if necessary, do hypnotherapy. I've got someone I'm doing a Fear of Spiders session with at the moment. And um, obviously the psychotherapy and the counselling is a bit deeper and more involved, but quite often you find someone can't achieve what they want to achieve without making some kind of personal change, and that's where the counselling comes in. So I've just combined everything I've ever done into uh, a service to help people, um, and hence the Mindful Entrepreneur. I like it. So uh, that is certainly a varied uh, life uh, resume. Um, is, is that always um, like in, was that all intentional, or is it just sort of you just followed what you enjoyed and and, and sort of uh, stuff appeared? Yeah, I, I think it's a mix actually. I think uh, some of it is is deliberate. Um, you know, I, I've had to make some big choices along the way. I, you know, I was offered a chance to take the business I, I'd helped found to America and, and that was a very difficult decision for me to give up everything I had here and move to America pretty much on my own and build an American business from scratch. Um, and I remember, I remember running away from that in, internally, you know, um, scared. But finally I thought, hey, what's the worst that could happen? Well, I suppose the worst that could happen is I get shot as soon as I get off the plane, but um, <laughs> thankfully that didn't happen. But uh, some of the time, I'll tell you the story about the guy who got shot in a bar in front of me roughly two hours after I landed in America. Um, you know, there's, there's me thinking the worst that happens is I get shot, and actually somebody else got shot. So there you go, that's not so bad, is it? And, um, you know, I've made some difficult decisions deliberately by design. There's been opportunities that have appeared from nowhere, which I've pursued. 
and there have been influences in my life that have made me change direction and and focus purely on helping other people, which is what I do. Okay. So yeah, it's varied, mixed. Um, it's still varied and it's still mixed, and I'm still learning. I, yeah, that's that's the path to be on, isn't it? It is for me. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm uh, I'm always looking for for more input. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, so have you always been? Because there's a fair bit of academic uh, gone into what you've done, especially with the what you're currently doing. Have you always been academic? Like when you think back to when you were in school, is there any stories that come to mind? Maybe when you were in like primary school or? No, I w- I was the kid. I was the really annoying kid who, despite being a lazy little toe rag, um, still did really well. So all the way through primary school, there was me and two friends. We were always top of the class. It was one of the three of us. Whatever we did, we just got there. And I think um, I got quite complacent, went to secondary school. It was a bit harder, but I never really tried hard. For me, even at that early age, I wanted to enjoy my life, not, you know, not, not, succumb to the drudgery as I saw it to be perfectly honest and and I scraped my degree you know so I enjoy learning and I enjoy life and I enjoy the company of other people and I think when I was a student I forgot about the learning bit um, and took it for granted and I did maths and computer science which I'm just one of those people who can do maths and uh, it doesn't matter how complex it got, I enjoyed it and could do it quickly and easily. And uh, that makes you complacent, which is what I was. Now, you know, at a different point in my life, I'm learning complex things, psychology, psychotherapy. Um, yeah, these are difficult things to master. So you've got to take the learning and apply it. So, the, you know, the difference between knowledge and skills is application and time. And that's where I am now. And I'm really, really enjoying it. And just gaining that insight into what makes people tick and then how to help them tick better, I suppose. Um, I love it. Absolutely love it. I like it. Yeah. It's, uh, as you mentioned, uh, not really enjoying, like, seeing it as drudgery. That's pretty much how my son would describe it. <laughs> yeah. And they both uh, say that our youngest is homeschooled. The eldest two, the eldest one has tried it, but didn't, didn't work out. And the middle one who loves school, this last six months has just like gone completely the other way. And she, she excels in school. Yeah. But she's asking for the homeschooling now as well. And I think it's, it's one of those toss up things of do you take him out and, you know, let, let them pursue their own interests at their own speed. Cause I know if she, if I was to let her loose on her own thing, she would, she would go after it like a rocket, do you know what I mean? Mm. And she wouldn't have all the baggage of learning all the subjects she didn't enjoy, <laughs> which is how I remember school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you do with all that stuff? You know, I think the best thing you can do for your kids is, is teach them how to make decisions in their lives. And, and decide for themselves what it is they want to pursue. And, you know, I look back, well, I can't remember the stuff I learned at school. I don't think I ever used it. 
I mean, I think even my degree certificate has only been referenced once in my entire life. And I accept that I'm slightly unusual in that I have been a, either a business owner or a consultant all my life. I've rarely had what you might call a proper full-time employment. Um, I, I'm totally used to that, finding my own way. Do I use my O-level chemistry? Um, no, never. Um, if things get really bad, I might go all Breaking Bad and, and bring it back to, to life again. <laughs> I could see you dressed as one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, maybe there's an inner Heisenberg, I don't know. Um, but I, I yeah, uh, I, I wonder now whether, you know, all those O-levels and A-levels and all that other stuff, was that really that important? Um, I think education is important, but... I, think sometimes the way it's given is is it puts people off yeah yeah I, I, it did for me it did for me 100 percent. and my my life started to learn as soon as i left when yeah. i started pursuing all the things i was interested in and then yeah. i went really deep on some stuff do you know what i mean so it's uh i do <laughs> well you see I, I, you know the things you're passionate about you learn about yeah um you know I, i've had a passion for beer all my life well six years ago i went on a course and learned how to brew Bought myself a little microbrewery and 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 started learning by doing, and and you know that's my my learning style is kinesthetic, and um, I love to do and that's why I love the psychotherapy. You can't learn how to work with people and help them change their lives without practicing. So we practice, practice, practice. Yeah, that's good. So so I was the. The, the brewery thing going is this is just 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 ticking along in the background there's something to take your mind off things or yeah i'm just getting relicensed actually because uh because i moved house i've got to license the location again license um, but i'm registered for beer duty i'm personally licensed uh i've got my um environmental health registration um so you know this is this is a serious endeavor and uh, where I want to get back to, which is where I was a few years ago, is uh, doing custom beers for people. So for companies, when they want to have a party, I can create a custom beer for them to their spec and then put a personalized label on the bottle. Cool. So that's that's my passion. I love it, man. That's, that's great, that is. That's, uh, I've never heard of that personalized beer, so I can imagine <laughs> yeah. it taking off, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, uh, of course, I have to sample them and test them regularly. <laughs> it's a necessity. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just waiting to. I'm just going through the licensing process again, and uh, hopefully, when when HMRC are happy that I'm, I'm doing everything properly, I can um, start brewing. I didn't realise that was a requirement. Is that is it? Because yeah, any still? production, any production. Actually, any obviously for foodstuffs, but for beer, you have to pay beer duty. You have to be approved to brew in a location. So you have to, actually on the application, you have to provide detailed plans. I mean, clearly they're interested in rather larger scale operations than mine, which is basically in a shed in the garden. Yeah. But even so, I'm producing alcohol. I have to pay beer tax on it. Um, you know, I have to account for any wastage or lost beer. I have to account for where it's stored and how securely and so on and so on. Okay. Um, so, and beer duty is a, is a, scale system so you know wine is fixed per bottle and uh um but beer it varies according to the strength okay so. right. we, we're just dipping our toe into wine so yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, we'll start somewhere. <laughs> it's good when you get it good. Uh, my uh, my big tip to you would be, as in brewing, that if the water's not right when you start, everything else will never be perfect. Okay. And um, so I actually chemically adjust the water before I even start brewing, before I even heat any water. It's adjusted to remove all the chlorine, but also to adjust the the dissolved salts level, and then I adjust the pH for mashing. So there's um it's worth reading up on that because it affects wine too. Just regular tap water, you can it's very simple to adjust it so that you take all those things out or you add in some things that you need. Hmm. And um, you know, that's your foundation is the water. Oh brilliant. Thank you very much. <laughs> Certainly look into that, yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, next week's brewing with Joel could <laughs> <laughs> become a slot. <laughs> yeah. Um okay, so We've gone off track a little bit. That's my fault. Um, <laughs> so, recalling when you were younger, what sort of lessons do you think took you longest to learn? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I didn't apply myself a lot. I was I was skilled, possibly gifted as a child, but you know, I I didn't apply myself well, and I was very lucky that my uh, I had a good grandmother who I used to stay with in some of the summer months because my parents worked. And um, she was the one who could get, you know, pretty much get me to do anything, really. She grounded me. And uh, one of the things I learned a lot about was was nature, how the world works. She lived out in the Derbyshire Peak District and we used to walk a lot. And she'd tell me what everything was and how it all worked. And I think I started to realise, you know, that thing of, you can't you can't learn important lessons quickly. Hmm. It does take time, but I th- I think as a child, uh, uh, you know, I knew uh, I knew I wanted to travel. I knew I wanted to get out. Um, I hadn't connected the dots, you know, that I had to apply myself. I was very lucky that uh, you know I, I I got a job as a teenager. I graduated and had a job almost before I graduated. I had some very lucky breaks in my life. I think it's easy to underestimate the importance of those lucky breaks. Mm, yeah, indeed, indeed. Okay, so if you fast forward from from that time to maybe a time in the future, a time of great change, what stories and emotions would that evoke for you? So you know, the 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 big traumatic event in my life was about six years ago, and um. Prior to that, I've been relatively lucky, apart from one key incident um, in the late 80s. So, you know, for me, these two moments in my life defined everything that came after. And the the one that happened in the 80s, I was out in America, um, you know, part of a very high growth software business in in an era when no one talked about startups or tech businesses. You know, we, people talked about new businesses. We were a new business. And I'd moved out to the States. Um, there was an American guy there and there was just him and me running the whole U.S. operation and an admin. And, um, you know, my friends back in England thought I lived a gilded life. I uh, flew six days a week. I lived in Dallas, uh, traveled all around America, literally hop, 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 hop all week long. 
used to get back on a uh, usually on a Friday night, and I'd be leaving again on Sunday morning, fly on the Sunday. Uh, you know, I was doing that week in, week out, and yet at some point I found myself sitting on a hotel bed in California trying to work out how to commit suicide. Really? And um, I remember the feeling. I was lonely. I felt out of my depth. Um, I was in a an alien society. America is nowhere near as close to the UK as, as you might think it is, and certainly not then. And I was working with this guy who was a good 15 years older than me, very old school, quite hard to work with. In fact, the first time I disagreed with him, he, he booked me an appointment with a psychiatrist. And um, I was lost. And thankfully, well, obviously I didn't go through with it, otherwise we wouldn't be doing this now. Uh, but also someone spotted it, and she put a virtual arm around my shoulder, asked me what was going on in my life, and took care of me. And, um, you know, I remember that. And actually what that did, that low point, that's the ultimate low, uh, that low point spurred me on to never do that again. Ever. So that was, that was a big event. The second big event... Uh, without going into too much detail, but as a consequence of my own decision-making and trust in my ability, uh, my wife and I ended up losing our home. And that happened six years ago, uh, at a, you know, a later stage in my life, at a point where most people would possibly give up. Uh, certainly their relationship might end. Uh, and actually neither of those things happened for me. And... Uh, got through it, but because of it, found mindfulness and then trained to be a mindfulness teacher. And then the hypnotherapy came and then the psychotherapy came. And all of that is a result of what I went through and having the inner strength not to go and end it all. Uh, and thinking, you know, any other entrepreneur could end up where I ended up. And entrepreneurship is what I know. It's what I've done most of my life. And I need to turn back around and look behind me and say, who is further down that ladder that I can go and help? And if I'm going to help them, what tools do I need to help them? And, um, you know, the thing is about doing this training is it changes you. I think it changes you for the better, obviously. Um, but so I became a different person. Um, and it wouldn't have happened without, you know, those two events. Was the the first event, the flying everywhere, was you trying to get your product out there, the network and everything else, was it? Yeah, I mean, we we had a product that was starting to gain good traction in the UK and in continental Europe. America was the big market. And, you know, we were, this is an era before PCs. So oh, most of the equipment that our our software ran on was made in America. And it was this was going home, and that we had two U.S. competitors selling similar products, two corporations in America, and we were a British startup company with two people in the states. And uh, and we circumvented the two competitors. We we ran them out of town. And we went to the source, to the people who made the machines, and persuaded them to include our software on their machines in the factory. So anyone who bought the machine didn't need to buy any software from anyone else. 
And that's what we did. We had to give away huge discounts on the product to get it bundled in the machines. But we were on every machine. So, you know, instead of talking about getting 10% of the market, we had 100% of the market. Um, so that's what transformed us. And then I moved into federal sales and we won a whole load of American government bids. And that just cemented our position even further. Um, but yeah, so to get that, you know, to get that going, literally from Dallas, we chose Dallas because it's the middle of America and it's an American Airlines hub. And we just, oh, okay. Yeah. So if you're on a hub, you know, American flew to hundreds of destinations from Dallas. It was their main base. And uh, so anywhere I wanted to go in America, I could go from there. You know, Seattle was four hours. Boston and Maine were four hours. Those were your longest flights. New York, three hours. Washington, two and a half hours. San Francisco, three hours. LA, two and a half hours. Now, anywhere you wanted to go, Chicago, hour and a half. Yeah. Pretty much anywhere you wanted to go, maximum flying time, four hours. But of course, yeah. you didn't do it that way. You'd fly to LA, then you'd fly to San Francisco, then you'd fly to Portland, then you'd fly to Seattle, then you'd fly to somewhere up north, and uh, and then you'd fly home on the Friday night. Wow. That's, uh, that's certainly an intense lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, <clears throat> if you was to go back to then and, and think about how you you managed obstacles and obviously the loneliness, the sense of feeling lost versus now with the skills you've got, what, 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 how, how could you help uh, the audience that's maybe listening, maybe feels lost, uh, to help them understand that this, this, the, the, the feelings are like a signpost and it's, all they're lacking is the skills to manage it. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy when you're not in the hole that someone else is in hmm. to say, uh, and a lot of people will say, think positively. Uh, yeah. Right? <laughs> it doesn't work. It, doesn't it absolutely work. doesn't work. It's like someone saying, Oh, smile, things could be worse. It's like, they are worse. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, um, doesn't work. The, the thing that will get you through is hope. And hope is the thing you lose when you're at your lowest ebb. Hmm. And it's very hard to get that hope back yourself. And I believe that the only way you can get hope back is to go out and interact with people. And, uh, you know, I quite often recommend to clients that they have a crisis card in their wallet, like a little credit card. And in, when times are good, write down on there, on one side, write down three things that make you feel good about yourself. And on the other side, write down the names and contact details of three people who you could count on in a crisis. And if you don't have three people, cultivate them when times are good. It could be a therapist, it could be a partner, it could be a friend, it could be a work colleague, doesn't matter. Create that card when you don't need it. Yeah. And when you do need it, remind yourself to pull it out, even when you don't want to, and confront the truth that you're in crisis. What does your crisis card say you should do? And on one side it's going to say you should do these three things, and one of them's going to be get out and socialize because that's the first thing people do when they get low is they cut themselves off. They feel ashamed. They feel guilt. And 
uh, an activity. You know, what do you love to do? Do you love to run? Do you love to paint? Do you love to sing? Do you love to brew beer? And so uh, uh, people, an activity, and a place. Where are you happiest? And then on the other side, have the three people. And have that crisis card to catch you when when things are bad. But only write it when things are good. And, you know, you know a lot of the therapy work is about reinstalling the hope that there are better times ahead. And that's a very important part of starting the journey to recovery. When you get back to a better place, learn, one way or another, learn how to adjust your beliefs about yourself. Um, you know, those, what we call them the four lesses, uh, useless, worthless, hopeless, helpless. The things we tell ourselves when we're down, when we're low, when we're in that hole and you go, God, I'm so useless. You know, no one's going to want to help me. Look at the state of me. And we do all these things, self, self-limiting beliefs and self-defeating behaviors because of those words. You know, I should be doing something. I'm, oh, I must meet other people's expectations. I'm very fond of saying, you know, just stop for a minute, put all the bags down and work out which ones are actually yours and how many of other people's bags you're carrying around. Leave those ones behind. I like that. That's good. It's amazing what we tend to pick up on our journey. Yeah. And starting with our parents, you know, for some people, this never happens. And for other people, without knowing it, they, they leave home carrying a pair of bags for the rest of their lives. And it is entirely possible to put those bags down and move on. I think that's some brilliant actionable advice there. I can certainly relate to what you said as well, because uh, yeah, that the, the crisis card is brilliant. I like that. Love that idea. <clears throat> so, um, okay, so there's a bit of a difference there. I mean, and I love the way that you reflected back, looking to see you know who else is on the ladder, like you say that you can help. Um. That's, you know, it's, it's it's what inspired me to start my my journey and to to, to further cement my understanding of what I went through, and uh, I I need I needed to learn about it mm. to cement it for myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, can you tell me a story about something that has amazed you? Mm. I think you know. The thing that always amazes me is people. Fundamentally, I mean, as a therapist, you fundamentally believe that, that, that everyone is good and worthy. And we talk about separating the behavior from the person. Um, you know, the old adage about no one's born hating. No baby hates anything. Hmm. You may dislike being cold or unfed, but they don't hate. These are learned things. And we see so much of it, you know, our news is full of it, online is full of it, that it's easy to assume that that's the way people are, but actually they're not. People are amazing. No matter where you go in the world, people are fundamentally kind, compassionate, caring, wonderful. And it doesn't matter about language. You know, I spent quite a lot of time in Japan, never really could do anything other than basic phrases. But I could go anywhere in Japan and people would help you. 
And I see people come to the UK and talk about how British people have quietly helped them in some way. Whether they've lost something, they're lost, whatever help they need. Fundamentally, I think most people help most other people. And this is, it's not news. You're never going to read this on the front page of a newspaper, on a website, on the BBC News. But we should always remember this. Um, you know, even when times seem bleak and we think the world is filled with hate, it's not. It's filled with caring, compassionate people. That is truly amazing. I agree. <clears throat> I agree, hundred percent. Are you are you a news watcher? Uh, I actually not so much. I don't watch the news on television. I read uh, the BBC News website. And I read a newspaper every day. It's part of my mindfulness routine is to get up ages before I need to start work because I work from home. And I walk to the newsagent and collect a newspaper by hand and walk back. So first thing I do in the morning is walk outdoors. It gives me a sense of what the weather's like. Um, what's the world like today? Gets me some fresh air and a bit of exercise. I come back. I sit down. I read the paper in peace and quiet. I have a quick meditate at the end of that, and that starts my day every day, cool. even at the weekend. So, so one that people tend to ask me about quite a lot is meditation, and and, and I think people overcomplicate it. Can you can you make, can you would you mind running through how you how you do your meditation? So, uh, I've I've studied two different forms of meditation. Um, uh, obviously, mindfulness. And the exercises that go as part of mindfulness and as part of MBCT, which is the teacher training that I did. Um, but I also studied transcendental meditation. Okay. And um, if I have a preference, it's probably on the mindfulness side. Um, but if I want a quick, as I often do, most people do, I think, they want some meditation to do quickly. I'll do somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes alone with my thoughts and examine my thoughts and do a body scan in that time. And, uh, you know, when I'm teaching people, I teach mindfulness without meditation as well as with meditation. But the most important part about meditation is that you do it regularly, frequently, consistently, not how long you meditate for. And I think some of the, the mindfulness training starts out with 40-minute meditations and expects you to do an hour every day of, of meditation. And for most people, that's not practical in their lives. So I, when I run sales training, I end with a meditation that takes three minutes. And I tell people there, if you want an introduction to meditation, just Take a rest from headspace for a while, which I know you only listen to once every two weeks. So it's not really – it might relax you in the moment, but it's not really doing the the real benefit of regular meditation. Do a three-minute one. And if you've got time, do it twice a day. But doing a three-minute one every day doesn't sound so difficult. And what actually happens, of course, is over time you'll expand it, you know, as your practice gets better and deeper. But you've got to do, you know, pretty much six days a week some meditation for many months, say two to four months before the neuroplasticity effect starts to come in. 
Um, you know, so relaxing in the moment is fine, which is what a lot of people seem to assume meditation is about. But there's a short-term gain, which is that one, and a long-term gain, which is you're building up your resilience and your ability to cope with stress. Yeah, which is key. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> um, two questions left. Um, looking into the future, what would be the craziest and most exciting thing that you could be experiencing? Uh, oh. Do you know, I wonder what I said to you when I answered this by email. I can't remember. I, I want to change the world, actually. I want to be a driver for change. I, I don't seek public profile anymore. I used to. And I still, I know lots of people, I see them scrabbling on top of each other, trying to get profile and visibility. And, you know, I don't have any ambitions along that lines. I don't want to be a Tony Robbins, who I think is someone who's changed the world in his way. Um, and is adored by loads of people. I, I own a trademark, which is mental health by stealth. Nice. And, I, w I am very keen on helping people live happier lives and doing simple things that are practical and actually to, to spread hope. And for me, the craziest thing I could do is to succeed in that. Um, you know, from where I am now to succeed in that, it, it just sounds crazy and uh, that's fine. I don't mind. I like it. I think it's a lovely place to end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So where can uh, our, our my audience uh, find you and on what platforms? Uh, so I've just come off Twitter. Um, so I'm not on Twitter anymore. I closed down my account because I realized I don't produce content and I was not consuming content on Twitter. So that's gone. They can find me on LinkedIn. That's the best place to find me. Is just look for Stuart Hilston on LinkedIn and you will find me. There, there is only me. Um, you know, I'm on email and uh, actually I haven't done a website for the Mindful Entrepreneur. I'm in two minds actually. There's a, there's a little devil within me says, um, it's a, it's, I don't need to. Yeah. I don't need to. It's a crutch. I, I'd far rather get out and spread the word personally. So I like talking at events and, and, doing things like your podcast, you know, it's wonderful for me um, to spread the word. That's what I, I'm after. It's not about me. It's about spreading the word. And I think the website, you know, it could easily turn into a vanity project. I'll probably end up doing one because people expect there to be one, yeah. but it'll, you know, LinkedIn is the best place for me by far. That's awesome. Stuart, I'd like to thank you very much for your time today. Uh, thank you. Sure. Thank you for sharing your story. Lots of inspiration in there and actionable advice. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks. It's, it's been wonderful. It's nice to put a face to a name as well. <laughs> I know. I know. Lovely job. Okay. So thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Joel Ingram, and I am a certified NLP coach. I help passionate, resourceful, and professional people feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life 
to rewrite their narrative, chronicle a new, engaging, and captivating future. Please subscribe if you found benefit. Thank you, Stuart. We wrap him up there. Um, yeah, I, I, if you if you're up for it in the future, when you got if you got anything coming off, or uh, you know you want to you want to promote, let's let's connect again and and do another version if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Very yeah. happy to. I'm sure, you've got quite a bit of editing to do now. <laughs> I I don't do masses of editing. I just take the high high spots off and everything else. So. Yeah. When um, I, I recorded three, I was going to do my own podcast and I kind of parked it just for a while because I want to complete my course. But I recorded three episodes and um, I found that if I cut all the ums and ahs out, uh, which I did, and I could do it seamlessly, you know, so you sort out the levels and all that sort of stuff, but cut the ums and ahs out and all the, the deep breaths and, you know, those other sounds. Um, it typically took out of a maybe 45-minute recording. It took about 10 minutes out. Wait. It's absolutely amazing. And also closing up gaps. So, you know, I've got pretty good audio editing software. It was great for closing up gaps. Okay. And um, it was amazing how much it, it transformed the sound of it. Okay, I'll have to have a play with that and see what it sounds like because I've left it, all of them so far. I've got 35 out there and they're, they're all pretty raw, you know? Yeah. I uh, use um, uh, Adobe Audition. Okay. That's um, a not, yeah, I've got a full subscription to Adobe, but I think you can get just that one on its own for not much money. And um, I'm not a very good sound engineer. <laughs> no, I'm, yeah. I'm still learning. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I can do the basics, like the stuff I just talked about. Um, I can mix it in. So I've got title music, which I bought on uh, Pond5. All right. So it's mine. Didn't cost me anything really. <laughs> Thirty quid, I think. Um, so I know how to sort of fade that in and out and stuff like that. But yeah. beyond that, my sound editing skills are zip zero nil. <laughs> Happy days. Um, if you if you have, I wouldn't mind taking a listen to your podcast if you ever. You well, I've not published them, and I'm actually going to save them for when I start again. Okay. Uh, the podcast. I don't know whether I'm going to keep it. I might keep it as what it was it's called you are not alone nice says it all yeah um but i might just change it to the mindful entrepreneur podcast mm. um uh, i've been i went through a long period of registering lots of trademarks and lots of brands and all sorts of stuff but actually now i'm quite happy to just do everything under the mindful entrepreneur cool let's just definitely let me know when you're going to do it because i'd like to take a listen Okay, it'll probably be, it probably won't be till the end of this year. But um, some of the stuff I'm going to start doing, so I've been running these training courses in companies. I'm going to start doing public versions of those. So the psychology of selling. That'd um, be interesting. Uh, how to make yourself do the things either you don't like doing, don't want to do, or you're just procrastinating on. Um, and, you know, how do you build rapport with someone who's got a different personality type to you? Interesting stuff. Yeah, without alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> no certainly be interesting also keep us in the loop yeah I, I will do well hopefully we'll stay in touch and uh, um, you know it doesn't have to be just for a podcast right yeah yeah no cool. I, yeah I think same mind I mean what you said at the end is all about spreading the word and that's how I feel about what I do you know so yeah. uh, it was nice to hear you say that <laughs> <laughs> plays nicely doesn't it it does, it does, it does. And uh, it resonates, so it's cool. 
Good. Right, go on. Thank you very much for your time, sir. I will lay out to get Game of Thrones, and I'm going to go and check <laughs> out episode one myself. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Brilliant. Thank you, Stuart. Take, take care. Have a good evening. And you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.